Welcome to our podcast inside SAP S4HANA. There's no customer success without product success and project success. Welcome back from vacation. I hope you and your families are all safe. We're running the podcast again from our home offices. And for me, it's the first after a well-deserved summer break. This podcast will be very special again. We've had great ones with a few partners already, like Algiers, Delaware, and today it's our pleasure to have Len Harms from our partner Rising with us. Len is the Chief Experience Officer from Rising and will tell us about his experience with SAP S4HANA Cloud, his lessons learned, and the roadmap of his company. Hello, Len. Thanks a lot for being with us today. Hello, how are you? I'm doing good, thank you. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Len, before we go into the deep dive discussion on product and ERP markets, I found from your LinkedIn profile something that I think is some I'd like to use to kick it off. You wrote, one of my first managers coached me to always keep the customer as my primary focus. This advice has guided my career. This is certainly a very good topic to start a podcast and even more in the midst of a pandemic where many things are just different. So the customer focus that you were insisting on and having as your um, you know, guiding principle before the pandemic has probably changed a little bit. Would you like to tell us more about you know, what that changed for you, for your family, for your business? It's interesting. I'd actually like to tell a little bit of the story that goes behind that. It was, uh, it was the first manager that I had at SAP. And uh, I was just coming in. This was uh, moving into the SAP space was something that was quite a transition for me. I won't bother going into all my previous detail, uh, but I was concerned. You know, I had just started. This was not only a new role for me, but it was really, it was a new industry for me because I had been a practitioner. I was a logistics and maintenance person. And now to be moving into this IT consulting space, and um, I had been speaking with Neil. This was about a month after I was hired, and I told him my concern. And his response was, Always keep the customer in the front, look after your customers, and you won't have to worry about your future. Just do what's good for the customer. Always keep them in mind. And at the time, it met a very specific concern that I had, but it became um, almost a driving vision for me personally in my career since that time. And that goes back to that statement was made in 2001. So it's been really a part of my guiding principle. And I've tried to take that into all aspects of my career moving forward. And so now if I take that and translate that into, uh, into our operation uh, at Rising, it's not only my personal guiding principle, it's a guiding principle for our firm. And in this pandemic, I'd actually like to give you one, one very specific example. So we have three lines of business within Rising. We look after people, that's our uh, HXM line of business. We look after assets, that's enterprise asset management, and we look after products, and that's our consumer industry. So you think of people, products, and assets. Those, those are our three main areas. On the people side, what we saw coming into the pandemic is we internally wanted to make sure we were looking after our people, understanding where they might have exposure, understanding where they might be at risk. And so using uh, success factors and some changes that we uh, were able to make inside of the Employee Central database, we were able to understand that exposure. And so what we did is we took that configuration guide and we made it public. 
So instead of uh, you know trying to take advantage of an opportunity, uh, we looked at what's best for our customers. What what's our responsibility to our customers? And so we made that document public for for anyone who wanted to come look at it. It's still on LinkedIn. So I think that's an example of how we, as Rising and me as an individual, look at our customers first and making sure that that they're taken care of and making sure that we always deliver that value. Um, some of the, the more specific kind of behaviors, if you will, that have definitely altered is uh, we spend a, a lot of time on the phone now, on video. Um, obviously, the face-to-face meetings are seem uh, distant past and uh, not to uh, look a little bit far out in the future yet still. So we do spend a lot more time uh, staying engaged with our customers, making sure that we're aware of what's going on. On, uh, on a very personal level, I have come to greatly appreciate some of the video capability. Uh, if I may share, just before the pandemic hit, I became a grandparent. Never been so proud of something in which I've had so little to do. And uh, we've been really fortunate to have video calls and lots of phone calls and pictures that keep us engaged and watching your granddaughter grow. And so, you know, I look at uh, the time we're in with the technologies that we have available. Uh, I think those technologies have definitely made a big difference as to how we can handle this kind of lockdown, this kind of uh, pandemic uh, constraints. If I go back even eight, nine years ago, I think it would have been a lot tougher on us. So definitely thankful for that for both uh, on a business and a personal level. On a personal note now, I just want to mention a nice story of my father who was really, you know, before the pandemic time, not using at all any apps, you know, or like Skype or FaceTime or whatever, not even SMS. Um, but if you have no plan B, you use plan A and the plan A at that time, especially because it was on the other side of the border, me in Germany, he in France, could not visit um, ourselves at all. Well, then you go for what you have at hand. And it was actually, you know, the only thing we had was to communicate via FaceTime, SMS, etc., which I think was a, a good learning for many, many of us. Okay, with that, I'd like to go back to, to your project. I've been myself in project before, especially um, at uh, during my time with SAP France, and we all know that projects are not easy, right? It's not all rosy as some would like to paint it. And you were very successful, right? I'd like to know what did you do better? What did you do different uh, to make the Rising Project a success? Yeah, I'll just clarify one thing, Yannick, and then I'll go back and I'll answer your question. Um, we have, we've had a technical go live. So I think it, it might be worthwhile for me to just give a little bit of a background in terms of the scope of the project and our current status just to, to level set. So we are intent in delivering, um, we're using uh, the S4 cloud professional services. And our overall project approach was to create a country template and then use that country template across each of our various legal entities. And because we're a global uh, entity, we have three primary regions, uh, North America, Europe, and then Asia Pacific. And across 
those three regions, we have roughly 12 countries or legal entities where that we needed to set up. So we've gone technically live with our uh, country template, but we're still in the process of doing uh, rollouts across all our country activations. And we, um, we're working on, on data. So I just want to be clear that it's been a technical go live with our country template. We still have uh, rollouts to do across our countries, and that's what we're, we're in the midst of doing right now. Yeah, exactly. And we can talk if you want about the country activation and things where ASP can, can improve things based on the feedback of, of your project. But let's have a look at the, the technical goal life, as you said. What what made you know what was the, the magic recipe or the, the secret recipe or sauce that, that made you successful so fast? Yeah, so one of the things that we spent a fair amount of time on was the uh, preparation. And on this one uh, recommendation I would make to anyone starting in a project is to go to the SAP website. It's uh, www.rapid.sap.com. And there is so much material available on there. And so what we did is we tried to get an idea of what our scope was going to look like. You know, we had a pretty good idea around that. And uh, in using the tools that were available on that website, we were able to come up with an initial scope document and then in areas that we knew for certain that we'd be covering, some we didn't quite understand. You know, we were waiting for consultants to help us, but the things that we knew we were going to happen, we spent time going through the t tutorials and doing self-education. So we had a couple of our key people that were going to be uh, the subject matter experts for rising on our various topics. We asked them to spend the time to go through it. So we spent time going through the uh, the scope document. We spent time doing the uh, the education. And so that initial preparation was, was really helpful and it helped prepare the group for what was to come to understand some of the concepts. And the reason that was really important is it goes to one of the project uh, mandates or characteristics that we wanted, which was we wanted to stay fit the standard. And we knew for us to be able to do a fast implementation using cloud, we had to go fit the standard. And so we wanted to make sure that if we were going to be fit to standard, that means we had to be prepared to make alterations and changes in our process. We knew that was inevitable. There were things that were gonna to have to change. And so we wanted to be as prepared as we could be. So we were able to do a lot of preparation work in advance. And again, specifically uh, because of the, the amount of material that was available on that rapid.sap uh, site that I was referring to. So there's a lot of value to be had in doing that, uh, that preparation. So that would be one of the first things I would note right away. Uh, another one, this we knew going in that we'd have to spend time on, and that's data. And having spent and, and you would know this, having spent time on projects, and uh, I had about 20 years experience working through projects. Data is always one of the topics that comes up as almost being uh, not addressed early enough and, and not understanding the amount of time that could be required. So we were really fortunate. We had our sales team had been already working on a data project around customers and products. And that has been really helpful. Uh, it was, we were able to leverage that exercise and 
So going in, we knew that we'd have to spend the time on the data and the, the effort already done by our sales team to, to normalize the customer data helped us tremendously through this. The one area we could have done a bit better was around the uh, in-flight. So there's data, like master data, customer products, uh, vendors. And on that side of it, we, we were well-prepared and uh, have done really well with that. However, when it came to something like a project, and project is, is our primary object that we use in the system uh, or will use in the system, that particular object, uh, when we looked at the migration for projects in flight, uh, that, that has been more work than we expected. And a large part of it is because a project is made up of multiple elements, you actually have to start at the smallest element of data and then work your way up. And it's almost like a hierarchy. And so there were about six layers of data that we had to work through. And we had recognized that at the header level, if you will, of the project, but there was the detail in the hierarchy that we didn't necessarily see what the effort level might be like on that one. So that was an area that um, we weren't expecting. You know, data as a whole, absolutely got the master data, but the transactional data coming across was one that we need to spend a little more time on. But just fit to standard is accepted and they work with it. They work with that system and exactly those six levels, not eight or not four. Yeah, with the with the fit to standard, I'll go back to my earlier point around the value of preparation and um, also the value of letting people know right up front, this is, this is how we're going to run the project. Uh, I was really fortunate in that um, I have an executive team that is supportive and we had spent time on this, discussing it and looking at how did we want to run this project. And there was a commitment on the part of our leadership team that we would go fit the standard. And that commitment across our executive team has helped me tremendously because it, it gave me the support I needed to move forward. So we communicated in our leadership team very early that this is the approach that we wanted to take. And then as we moved into the project and we started inviting uh, the team members in. So once we had committed to the project, we started building our internal project team. And in building that team, we made it very clear right at the beginning that this was one of the mandates we would have. And, and if I may, I'd like to go off topic just a little bit. Back to the SAP Rapid Site, there was a document in there around the project charter. And I can be a, at times a tiny bit cynical about the amount of documentation that needs to be produced. Because I think that, you know, it should be succinct, clear, and not just created for the sake of creating it, but for a value purpose. And the project charter, and the reason I call that document out, is there was a, a key statement in the project charter, which was, what's the, what's the approach you're gonna take? How are you gonna manage this project? And what are the mandates? And so we wanted to highlight right in that document. So you're gonna, if you look at our project charter, it's not long. You know, it's about three or four pages. And one of the things that we made sure that was in there was our statement around fit the standard. And then as we brought the team on board, we asked them to read the project charter, you know, gave them the, the scope, uh, what our objectives were, and how we were going to manage this. And also some of these key parameters and fit the standard was in there. When we did our kickoff, um, same thing. It was one of the key statements we made. So one of the things that that I've learned through this and 
and it actually more of a reinforcement of learning is that you have to repeat key things and you have to be persistent and constant in that message. And so we were. And if you look across our uh, our project, we had roughly 63 scope items. So uh, for those of you who might be new to the SAP cloud, every scope item has this three letter designation and it's how you define the scope of the project. And so we had roughly, yeah, let's say 70 scope items that we settled on. And across those 70 items, there is one scope item where we uh, did a, uh, a small extension or uh, a change, if you will, but you don't do it in the cloud, you do it in a side-by-side -side extension in uh, cloud platform. So out of those 70 odd uh, scope items, one, we decided to do an extension because there was something that was really vital to the way that we operated that we wanted to account for. So uh, we were able to go fit to standard across and it was also a discipline throughout the project. So I mentioned you know, right at the beginning when we talked as an executive team, this was a key driver for us or a, a key parameter for us. We kept communicating that even to uh, the system integrators. In this case, we had used SAP. And when I was first introduced to the gentleman who was going to be running the project, I made sure he was aware of that within the first five minutes. Every time we did a project update call, I started with that as an opening statement. Throughout the sessions that we had as a group, that was one of the opening statements. And so we have continued to uh, repeat that message over and over and over again, because it was so critical to our success. And one of the things, if I may, I'd like to even just talk a little bit about uh, what we've seen already. So as I mentioned, we created this uh, entry template and uh, we've moved it into our production environment. We're not using it yet, though. We've, we've got it there and now we're creating this across the various countries um, where we operate. And we have uh, releases. So every quarter, as we get the uh, updates across the system, and when you get the release, you do testing, make sure that everything you've already set up and configured is going to work. And there's some automated test tools that SAP even delivers, which uh, was a very pleasant surprise. So it's uh, definitely reduced the amount of effort we need to spend on doing the uh, testing after uh, an upgrade or a release. And by staying standard, we've been able to save a lot of money because when we come to these uh, the releases and we're doing our testing, we can use the automated test tool because we stayed standard. And as new capability comes out, and, and it's one of the things that, uh, you know, it's one of the value propositions for using cloud, new capability comes out. When you've stayed standard, you can leverage them. So anytime you deviate from standard, you increase your test time, you also could jeopardize your potential to use new capability coming out with new releases. And so the fit to standard mantra that we've had throughout this project uh, is already showing that uh, it was really valuable for us. And it's also reduced the amount of time that we had uh, in terms of the project. Quite often, product expert, SAP expert, they of course bring a lot of very own experience. So there's a legacy, there's a history that they have with the software. Did you have to manage a lot of pushback? Because in the end, you could say that legacy history experience is the opposite of what you need to run a fit to standard project because it's a completely new approach. How was that for your project? Yeah, that was, many of our consultants um, come from a large enterprise implementation. And I think if anything, um, 
I would say it was more the enterprise size issue, if you will. And, and I don't mean to say issue, but it, it was, if you look at it, a large part of our organization had, has been involved with large enterprise and um, they are large enterprise, have tend to be larger projects, have more scope items, um, have really unique nuances that could be driven by regulatory or tax or other considerations. And so there's, they just tend to be larger projects. And in our case, uh, we're, we're not large enterprise, not yet. And um, so we wanted to be able to move fairly quick, felt that we could say standard. And so one of the things that our team had to, to really kind of alter their thinking on is to go to standard and not to look at, you know, here's a business requirement map out the best way to deal with or to support that business requirement and then we'll build it what we had to do was look at the look at the standard look at our business requirement okay and adjust our business requirement to fit the standard and so it was a it was a shift in the way that we were thinking and for us um in, in some cases, I, I still recall a couple of conversations I had um, with uh, with one of the gentlemen, uh, really key person of our, our project, and, uh, and he had said, "You know, this was this was very different for me. He'd, he'd been on fairly large uh, oil and gas projects through most of his career, and then to come to this kind of project where we're moving fast, and um, he said the pace was something he had to he had to kind of get used to." And so a little bit of a learning, even, even just for us. And this is actually what we hear for, for, for most of the couple hundred projects we have for, for ACPS, for Ana Cloud. Um, and in the end, I think the, the acceptance comes as well due to the, it's a, the speed of innovation that you, as you said, on a, on a quarterly basis, you know, get an update. And for some LBs, you get a few new apps, functionalities, etc. So in a nutshell, you're live, you're technically go live, you have a template available. What is next then on your project? So we're right in the midst of rolling this out across countries. And uh, what we're doing is um, with, with country activations, what that means is you, you make a request, you log it with um, the SAP provisioning team, they activate the country, and then you put your configuration in it. There is a, a limitation. You can only do three countries at a time. And so the way that we have chosen to do this is we've got our uh, template done and we now have a period of activations. And uh, because we can do three at a time and it takes roughly two to three weeks to get them activated. And because of the number of countries we had, it took roughly about 12 weeks to get all of them activated. And so now we're taking our template and moving it across each of the 12. And, um, and then next we're, we're gonna do uh, a final integration test across all of them, make sure that everything we've done works across all our countries, intercompany billing, et cetera. So that's what's next for us. And um, during the time period of the 12 weeks that uh, we were waiting for all of our countries to be activated, we use that time to do a lot of the data work and um, we knew we'd have a window waiting for the country activation. So we had intentionally uh, held off on some of the data work, knowing that we would have that window to do it. So uh, that, that's worked out well. 
Lenny Samones in the read between the line, listen to what you said carefully. I feel there's a there's a message to ACP on that. We'd like to allude on that, you know, regarding contract activation and the couple of weeks per for three countries. Yeah, that was it was a bit of a, a surprise for us. Uh, we as we went into the project, um, we had not anticipated the amount of time it would take to do the country activations. And if I look across the project from uh, an SAP solution perspective, that would be one area that uh, I think needs a needs some improvement. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we had to ask. Uh, we were limited to three countries. We knew that limitation, so we knew that limitation coming into the, into the project. Uh, we were a bit surprised at how long it took, and so we've had to account for that. And uh, we altered our project plan a little bit just to to account for that. So it's one of the areas that uh, we've had a couple of discussions already with uh, our SVP colleagues, and um, you know it's well it's recognized, and uh, we can see certain improvements already happening. Uh, definitely, it's something I would uh, say to anyone who's again looking at doing this project, uh, at this kind of project, and you, if you have multiple countries, uh, make sure you have clear visibility to the number of countries, the activation cycles you're going to use, and the timeline associated with it. You know that you can account for it and you can manage it in your project, but you just you need to be aware of it. Yeah, I appreciate the openness. And I will uh, make sure the message comes at the right place again. Uh, but we've already been talking about that on, on the project level. Then as we're approaching the end of the podcast, I'm interested in what's next. We've talked about AsyncPS for HANA Cloud Proc Services. What is the next step then? Uh, any connected other cloud LOV solutions? Yes. So we have um, we have a roadmap that we're working through in terms of uh, our use of uh, SAP Cloud Solutions. We've already been... Um, very active in success factors. Matter of fact, we probably have one of the more extensive uh, success factor implementations. We're using uh, it extensively. And um, so we're now we're adding on our S4. That'll be our primary uh, finance and project management solution going out to that. Uh, C4, uh, we've got marketing, we've got C for sales. We're using already the service side of C4. Uh, then there is the uh, planning application that sits on the SAP uh, cloud, so SEC, Analytic Cloud. That's next. And a couple of other things that we're looking at then in terms of supporting the whole, uh, there is the new solution SAP has around the Asset Lifecycle Management, or ALM. So we're we're looking at that as a way to help us manage our environment once we're done. And uh, also, we've got a couple of things around identity management and identity provisioning that we're uh, looking at because, uh, as you can well imagine, security roles and security is one of those topics that sometimes gets a little bit of a sub bullet in a project, yet pretty vital to make sure you you have those right. And uh, so we're looking at also adding in that capability and that would take us probably for the next year or so. So those, those are the all the aspects that we have uh, planned out yet. Very interesting journey. Thanks a lot, Len, for sharing all that with us. I have two things in mind to kind of wrap up now. The first thing is the executive mandate has to be there. This is going to be the door opener for the entire project on the business side and on the IT side. The second thing I have in mind is have a clear vision and repeat and repeat the vision. So the team gets motivated. This team really see what's the expected outcome, you know, for the benefits of the company, for 
the benefit of increased and more efficient business processes. Thanks again for sharing that with us. Very interesting. Do you have a few closing words? I think the one comment I would make or one of the lessons learned for me coming into this has been how important it is to understand the, the, the challenges that come up. You know, it's inevitable. Every single project, you're going to have discussions around, well, you know, we, we typically do it this way or that way. Uh, and this goes back to our fifth standard. And one of the things I found is if you spend the time to make sure you understand the issue or the problem, it helps on the solution side of it quite a bit. So, you know, often, especially uh, those of us who come from a consulting background, we want to we want to fix, we want to get it right, and we want to get to the solution. And um, I find at times I have to kind of slow myself down a little bit and really make sure that we as a team understand what we're trying to solve, make sure we have a really good, clear definition, then let's get to the solving. And I, I have found even going through this project and that learning again has been reiterated in me, the need to work with the team, make sure we're really clear on what we're trying to solve. And if we have a very clear definition of that, we get to the solution a lot faster. And um, that, that, another, that has been uh, reinforced learning for me that I've taken throughout this. And um, so again, prep, make sure you prep. Prep makes a huge difference. Be constant in your messaging and uh, very clear in your communications, especially around when it comes to solving issues. Just be really clear on, on what you're trying to accomplish. It helps you get there faster. So thank you. These are very good closing work. Thanks a lot, Leanne. Thanks for being with us. Um, we really appreciate that you spent a few minutes with us to share your insights and recommendation for, for the project. Thank you. Thank you. So this was the podcast with Len Arms, the Chief Experience Officer from Rising. As always, if you all enjoyed today's discussion as much as I did and would like to learn more, then stay tuned for the next episode. And feel free to drop us an email via insightS4 at sap.com. I repeat, and you find that the metadata of the podcast too, insightS4 at sap.com. And of course, let us know which topics are of your interest. Stay safe, stay tuned, and next time, and be inside ACP Eswana. Bye-bye.